every Sunday morning, you hit snooze. Once, maybe twice. You blow dry, you button down, you buckle up. You squeeze into your Sunday best. You keep your hands and feet and neckties in the car at all times. You come early. You run late. You sing. You listen. You preach. You pray. And then you go. And wherever you are led to go, wherever you dream of going, we are there. We are the North American Mission Board. With tools, with training, with two different pathways, we connect you and your church to your next missional opportunity. When you want to welcome a refugee who's lonely, when you want to rescue a teenager who's trafficked, or feed a man who's hungry, when you want to care for a child who's neglected, or rebuild a home that's flooded, Send Relief gives you and your church real-life opportunities to learn and do. In places where churches are not, where the population is big, but the gospel influence is small, where missionaries are called to start something from nothing. Send Network gives resources and training and support. And Send Network connects your church with church planners so that together you can change the world. There are thousands of them. Church planning missionaries. Send relief missionaries. In big cities and small towns. Feeding and teaching and loving. Planning 25 churches every single Sunday. And baptizing thousands of new believers every single year. They give their lives. And you give your treasure. You send these missionaries out into the world when you and your church sacrificially give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and the cooperative program. And there are thousands more chaplains in foxholes and police cars and hospitals and workplaces. They all need you. And you need them. Because outside the four walls of your church, where they are, that's where you are at your best. Every believer really can one day live on mission. You and your church just need the very best tools to make it happen. That's why we exist. That's why we create resources like the Three Circles. Because whether it's an evangelism tool you download to your phone, or a compassion ministry our Send Relief experts help you launch, or a new church you help start through the Send Network, everything we do is centered on helping you and your church share the gospel. That's why we all do what we do every Sunday morning and every day after that. So as you pray, as you go, and as you discover what living on mission looks like in Norway, the North American Mission Board is here for you. All right. Thank you for, uh, for having me tonight. I'm really excited to be able to talk to you about uh, Nam, talk to you about Annie Armstrong and, and all the things we have going on there. If you don't mind, let me pray for us first real quick before we get, get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege uh, that you've given me 
to speak tonight uh, to this church about the things that you're doing through through Nam, through Annie, uh, through the thousands of missionaries all around North America, through the giving uh, that people in over 47,000 Southern Baptist churches give uh, every Sunday, and especially on the Annie Armstrong uh, offering annually. Lord, I just thank you for this privilege to be able to uh, tell these stories of these missionaries and the things that they're doing all around North America to spread the gospel to reach areas of, of great need uh, and where there is no gospel influence or very little. Thank you for uh, the role that you've given me in that, and I thank you for your love. I pray that you would speak to someone tonight, maybe through the, uh, the things that I've learned uh, in the last 18 months, uh, and that your will will be done. In your name, amen. So... On behalf of the North American Mission Board, I want to uh, uh, thank you for your giving. Uh, the 5,000 missionaries all around North America uh, that you support through the Southern Baptist Cooperative Program, through the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, uh, I really want to say thank you. We uh, do not take that lightly. Uh, we, your, your sacrificial giving, we're extremely grateful for that, for your prayers, uh, for all these missionaries. Thankful for your heart, for missions. Uh, and your heart to see the gospel spread throughout North America uh, and, our, and the rest of uh, the world. Because of your giving, we're able to impact areas of great need uh, in North America. Spiritual needs, emotional needs, financial needs, and through all of that, uh, we're able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with millions of people who've never heard his name, surprisingly, in North America. Uh, most of us will ever never meet these missionaries in person. Most of us uh, we'll never experience the things that they experience uh, or meet the people whose lives are changed through their service. But you are just as much a part of their stories as these uh, as anybody else because of your prayer and your sacrificial giving. So once again, I want to say thank you for that. Uh, before I begin, I have a little confession I want to make. And uh, until about a couple years ago, as he mentioned, I've been at NAM about 18 months. I Really had no idea who the North American Mission Board was, what Annie Armstrong was, uh, even though I've grown up in church most of my life, uh, recently Southern Baptist churches, but still didn't know much about it. Um, I'd heard mention of those names a few times, and but didn't really understand what the organization was about or how it worked. What I'd like to do tonight is share with you some of the things that I've learned on my journey over the last 18 months. Uh, many of you may be just like me, sitting in the pews uh, uh, here in thousands of sermons over the years, growing up in church, and, uh, and your perspective on missions may be very similar to what mine was just not too long ago. So uh, what I'd like to do is just share with you about that journey. For me, when I thought about missions, I imagined an American family leaving the comforts of the United States, making a journey thousands of miles away to some jungle in Africa or in the middle of the Amazon living in a small grass hut the size of a storage shed, probably sleeping on a bed of straw on a hard dirt floor and eating nothing but bugs and leaves and tree bark <laughs> and probably drinking water that would make them terribly sick at any, any given moment uh, and, and probably also living under constant threat of uh, death by the local village people who had never seen someone that looked like them and, and was afraid of you know, whatever they were going to bring to them. Of course, to me, this was a noble sacrifice. It was something that I considered to be done by spiritual giants, people like uh, the great missionary Jim Elliott, who eventually gave his life for that calling. This, to me, was a missionary. 
This, to me, is what it meant to live on mission. Uh, For someone else, really, living on mission. Something I was more than happy to give money to, to support, uh, so that they get food, supplies, or whatever they needed to do their good work. Uh, This was my perspective on missions. Missions is a term that we hear quite often in the church world. But what I learned as someone who has grown up in church my entire life, that our understanding of what missions is, is probably not exactly what God intended it to be uh, and might be a bit lacking. Uh, When I thought about missions before, it was always something distant, something far away, and might as well have been on another planet. Uh, But what God has shown me in the last 18 months is that missions is all around us. Missions is in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. It's in the parks and on the ball fields. It's in the malls and in our favorite restaurants. Of course, we're not all called to travel to some distant field as a foreign missionary, but whether it's across the street or across the country or across the world, our responsibility as disciples of Christ is to live on mission and to be willing to go and tell about Jesus wherever we are. We are called to live on mission wherever God has placed us. So J.D. Greer, uh, many of you may may know who that is, know that name, pastor at Summit Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. I heard him recently say that when you accepted the call to follow Jesus, you accepted the call to missions. David Platt, former president of the IMB and now pastor of McLean Bible Church in Virginia, I heard him draw a parallel this last summer between uh, the story of Queen Esther in the Old Testament and in the modern day times right now and how God is sovereignly orchestrating all of history for his purpose. That each of us has a part to play. In the accomplishment of that purpose. He said that God's put you where you are for the accomplishment of his purpose through your life. He has sovereignly put you in the lives of those around you to make his love known. The purpose of God is playing out in our front yards, not just in the mountains of Nepal. What if God has designed the globalization of the marketplace for the spread of his gospel to the nations? What if God is turning the tragedy of forced migration into future salvation? My pastor, Pastor Johnny Hunt, at uh, First Baptist Woodstock over in Atlanta area, he said, in many ways, God is bringing the world to us. So by reaching our neighbors and our communities, we are reaching the world. At some point, those people may return to those countries, and if we've reached them here, then they will take the word there. So about two and a half years ago, uh, I was beginning to feel a bit burnout from a, a secular corporate job, doing creative, very similar to this, but of course not the same message. Uh, and I knew that God had opened those doors for me years before and led me down that path with great blessing. He allowed me to experience just about everything that I had dreamed, financial success, career growth, opportunities to use my creativity, to do big things all around the world, recognition, opportunities to travel the world, and experiences and so many other things. 
Of course, I knew that all those things were blessings from God and part of his plan for my life, but I couldn't shake this feeling that over the last few years he was calling me to something bigger, something with a greater purpose, a higher calling, something that truly impacted people's lives. So when God opened up the door for me to serve at the North American Mission Board, I have to admit I really didn't know much about what they did or what they were all about. But I knew that it would have a higher purpose, and so I was in. I didn't know what church planning was. I, I knew some about compassion ministry, and I knew a lot about church because I've grown up in church and, and about the gospel and about uh, Bible stuff, but not a lot about missions. And truthfully, I didn't understand why there were missionaries in North America. Why at all? And why weren't they all sent overseas somewhere? Why did we spend our money here? Uh, The term church planning to me just sounded like a a farming term. (laughs) But God has an amazing way of putting us in places sometimes before we understand all the details. And so what I've learned since about NAM and church planning and compassion ministry and meeting these missionaries has completely revolutionized my own perspective on missions and, and what we as believers are called to do in our own lives. So with that, I want to tell you a little bit about the North American Mission Board and, and what we do. That, uh, a couple of videos that you watched recently, that's a little bit of what I do, uh, leading the creative team at NAM, uh, which includes design and video and, and writers that are doing On Mission magazine and uh, so many other things to tell the stories of these missionaries uh, so that you uh, in the church who may never meet these people uh, can hear what they're doing and how you're, you're giving, uh, everybody's giving, and your prayers are impacting North America for, for the gospel. So the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, as many of you may know, are the missions arms of the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, International Mission Board is everything outside of North America. North American Mission Board is, of course, North America, including Canada, Puerto Rico, American Samoa, U.S. Virgin Islands, uh, and, and many different cultures that you know, we may not think of when we think of North America. There are 47,000 Southern Baptist churches that I learned that. I had no idea there were that many, but it's a huge network of, of people, uh, like-minded believers that are giving to missions, that have a heart for missions and have a heart for the gospel. Disaster relief, obviously, as many of you know, is a huge part of the Southern Baptist reach. When we think about North America, uh, as I said, we think about the U.S., uh, but what I learned is that there's so many people uh, with great needs, so many people that have never heard about Jesus even in the U.S. And is why we need to reach them. North American Mission Board, also known as NAM, You'll hear me refer to them as NAM in the next few minutes. We have two main focuses. One is the SEND Network, uh, which is all about church planting. And I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. Uh, and Send Relief, which is all about compassion ministry. But everything that we do at NAM is centered around evangelism. Uh, there's not an evangelism brand because evangelism is in everything we do. 
You know, we evangelize through church planning. We evangelize through compassion ministry. We evangelize through chaplaincy, through all the different things that, that we're entrusted to do. The SIN Network exists to push back lostness in North America, and we do that through mobilizing churches, and we do that through church planning, uh, and in planning new Southern Baptist churches in, in the areas of great need. Uh, Acts 1.8, it says, But ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, Judea and in Samaria, and in the uttermost parts of the earth. And when I read that, I think that when we think about missions, we just think about the uttermost parts of the earth part. At least I did. And there are three other places in there, Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, which are obviously our you know, immediate community, a little bit farther out, probably our state, and then our country, and then the world. So that is what Send Network is, is all about. For me, growing up in Alabama, I, uh, <laughs> this term, this will make sense in a second when you see the next slide, but uh, there was a church on every corner. I'm like, why do we need missionaries? There's a church everywhere. There's, you know, it's kind of like Baskin Robbins, you know, pick your flavor. <laughs> Whatever you want, there's one there. So uh, my context, my perspective of, of lostness was not very, not very big. Uh, going to Christian school, going to church, all huge blessings that I'm grateful for, but my perspective of people different than me and people uh, that believe different things was not was very limited. And, and even going to a Christian college, you know, where people think like me, it wasn't until after I got out of college and got into the secular world that I really was faced with people that really thought different than me. And I was amazed how, how can you think that? That's crazy, you know, so... Um, but that was me, and I grew up in this environment where there's one Southern Baptist church for every 1,450 people. That's not even evangelical churches. That's just Southern Baptists. But then when you see this next slide, in Montreal, where you see there's one church for every 112,000. Uh, and then we have, on our website, you'll see there's Slides like this for every city in America, and, and the numbers are, are just crazy. And I'm um, like, of course there's a need that when you see numbers like that. Uh, and so SIN Network, we, we aim to do church planning and grow in areas of uh, the, the highest population areas in, in North America. 80% of people in North America live in a metropolitan area. 80%. Uh, and so we want to reach those cities because there's some stats that you'll hear later on. They are really not here in the Word, so we have to go and tell them. Uh, military communities, collegiate communities. We all know the dire situation of uh, education in this country and the things that they're teaching our, our children. And, and so what better place to, to reach them when the world was trying to take them at that age to, for us to get them in churches and uh, college churches and at the same time. And there's other strategic areas. If you may have heard, we just recently added Puerto Rico as a, a major focus area for NAM uh, because of some of the devastation 
that is down there because of the hurricane recently and, and also just the great need there. I mean, it is, like I said, part of North America, and so we want to make sure that we're reaching people there, a very different culture than, than much of the U.S. And so I thought, why are we planting churches? Why don't, aren't there enough churches? There's 47,000 Southern Baptist churches. Well, I learned that there are 900 to 1,000 Southern Baptist churches that go off the books every year. For whatever reason, whether it's age or finances or uh, change of affiliation or whatever it is, they, they're no longer registered as Southern Baptist churches. So our goal of planting 1,200 churches every year is, is aimed at overcoming that and keeping America strong. Because as I'll talk about in a minute, Annie Armstrong stood for keeping North America strong because she knew that 100% of international missions, giving to international missions for the International Mission Board comes from North America. So without a strong church in North America, there's no funding for international missions. And that's why we plant churches, so that we can continue to grow and see, uh, see God's word spread. In Send Network, we, uh, there's a lot that I can get into about that, but in Send Network, they're sending churches and supporting churches, and we come alongside churches and help them if they want to raise up people within their church to, to be missionaries and go out, we, we have something called the church planning pipeline that pastors are able to tap into and, and develop training for their church to, to train people to go out. Uh, people can become uh, supporting churches to uh, actually sponsor a particular missionary and, and help them in their church in their local area and what they're doing. And so those are the kind of things that the Send Network provides a lot of these churches, as I'm learning, they're not just churches. They're, they're actual uh, missionaries. They start out of Bible studies just like this, uh, where they go into their neighborhood and they try to reach people uh, that are in their community and they ask them over for a Bible study and then it grows and it grows and it grows. And uh, so it's, it's very different. It's very much like a mission field going into places who have not heard of the gospel. In Sin Network, there's a, a lot about, we say that our, our pastors are our number one customers because the pastors are the ones leading these churches and, and leading this movement. And so we invest very heavily in the pastors in training and support and care and coaching and mentorship and, uh, and counseling and whatever they need to, to keep a strong, thriving uh, congregation and to continue to multiply uh, churches throughout North America. In Send Relief, we help churches meet physical and spiritual needs of the communities throughout North America. Uh, we do that in, in five main areas. One is through poverty. We think of homelessness usually when we think of poverty, but there are many things with literacy and uh, job training and, and other types of things that we, we provide beyond homelessness. Refugees and internationals. Uh, you heard the, the video this morning about Clarkston, and that's a big focus for, uh, for the Clarkston uh, because of the community, and I'll talk about that in a minute. So poverty, refugees, internationals, foster care and adoption. Uh, most foster children, uh, children that are placed in foster care, they, they go into foster care with nothing but a backpack. Most of them, all they own is in a backpack. And, uh, and so very sad stories, but we uh, have programs to allow pastors and missionaries to, to 
afford the cost of foster care and adoption so that they can bring them into their families. And, uh, and then uh, many, many other programs that we do. Human trafficking. Atlanta, I live in Atlanta, is, uh, I forget the number, number one or one of the uh, biggest places for human trafficking in, in the U.S. Obviously with all the transportation going on there, but it's just very sad and stuff that we don't know about. And it's a very difficult topic to, to tell stories about. Um, and we have some stuff coming out later this year where we're going to be, each of these five areas for Send Relief, we're going to be uh, doing some more stories and more education and more tools and training. And, and so churches can get involved in those areas and impact their communities through those five things. And des- disaster response, obviously, is the main thing that Southern Baptists are known for. Uh, but through that, last year obviously was a big opportunity for us as Southern Baptists to, to help our nation through the hurricanes in Texas and in Puerto Rico and Florida. But those were also opportunities for us to share the gospel. Uh, we, we saw millions of dollars coming in from people that were not affiliated with evangelical churches, let alone a Southern Baptist church. And we had people calling and asking to go and volunteer in Houston, and even though... They weren't believers, and they just wanted to help. But what better opportunity do we have to model the gospel than through going alongside someone who doesn't know Jesus to serve and show Jesus to someone? And so we saw that, saw many stories. Actually, I remember a, a time that we had at NAM where we personally hand-wrote letters to the donors that gave uh, during that time. It's because of the great outpouring that we had. You prepared 3,250,000 meals last year through Southern Baptist Disaster Relief. And so with each of those meals, there's a story, uh, a story of someone that needed hope, probably needed the gospel, and we're able to hear it through that opportunity. So in Sin Relief, we say if you meet a need, you can build a relationship, and you can change a life. And so that's what it's all about. Uh, in center relief and and honestly things that i've learned that like wow you know that's we think about witnessing and we we think very formal and, and you know sometimes it's scary and but sometimes it's just as simple as building a relationship with somebody that you know allows them to trust you and gives you the opportunity to speak into their life when when they need it so how does this all relate to annie armstrong Well, Annie Armstrong, as you may know, was born in 1850. Uh, She was leading advocate for North American missions, and she wrote letters and traveled all around North America and rallied the churches in cooperative support of missions education. One year, she wrote 18,000 letters to pastors and uh, advocates to raise funding for missionaries. I think about how difficult it was back in the 1800s to travel around and and meet missionaries and the people impacting North America. And, uh, and so that's what she did, and that was her passion. And she led the formation of various missions organizations uh, to educate children about missions, to educate uh, people about reaching out to immigrants. She was the first executive director of the Women's Mission Union, the WMU. And... She, too, had people asking her, why North America, even in the 1800s? Why not overseas? 
And she said just what I said a second ago. We have to keep North America strong because the money comes from North America for the rest of the world. And if the North American church dies, then the funding for missions around the world dies. One thing that Annie understood was the power of stories. Uh, Back then, they didn't have TV, they didn't have radio, they didn't have smartphones, they didn't have ways to to tell stories very quickly to people. So she went around, traveled, met these people firsthand, and had had an eyewitness account of their stories that she was able to share when she went around to churches and when she was writing letters. And so that is why we tell the stories of the missionaries. That is why uh, it has been a great honor over the last year to go and meet these missionaries and hear their stories and and tell it to you through the form of video and and fortunately in this opportunity to give you more context to their stories and, and how it impacted me personally. So on mission here and now. In, our, in the marketing department in the North American Mission Board, we say that our mission is to capture and to share compelling stories that lead people to action, specifically the church to action. Uh, but what I want to do tonight is spend the rest of my time giving you some context around these stories of the missionaries that you've, you've been hearing about over the last few weeks. And uh, we won't have time tonight to go and watch every single story, but uh, please go to AnnieArmstrong.com and you can watch each of their stories in detail and read about them and, and uh, find information about how you can pray for them and even contact them. It's virtually impossible for me to tell their story in two minutes in a video, but uh, the things that I learned from each of these amazing families, and quite honestly, it has been extremely convicting for me personally, uh, the, the lengths at which these people are willing to go to sacrifice, uh, to give, and to reach communities that do not know about Jesus, uh, just was astounding to me. So the goal of our campaign this year, the On Mission Here and Now campaign, we came up with that theme first. And the reason we came up with that theme, you know, being new to NAM, uh, all this stuff I just talked about is we knew that there was a, uh, not a complete understanding of why there was a need for missions in North America uh, throughout Southern Baptist churches, me included. And, uh, and so we wanted to use this campaign to be able to help educate and, and tell people this is why. This is why we give. This is what we're impacting and what is happening when we give. And as I mentioned before about David Platt and the story of Esther, that God has, has given us some unique situations in our world right now that the opportunities are here. God's brought the world here through the refugee crisis, through... Uh, the globalization of the marketplaces through all the different uh, things that are going on. God's bringing people here. I wondered sometimes, <laughs> just to be transparent, if if God's doing that because we're not going. If, if it's like, well, y'all aren't going to do it. I'm going to bring them to you. <laughs> and so maybe you'll do it if they're in your backyard. And, I mean, those are just personal reflection things that I was thinking as we were working on this this theme and, and wanting it to truly reflect what was going on. 
Uh, we didn't want to just tell a nice story about a missionary. We wanted to tell a bigger story, a story about all these things that I just mentioned a minute ago and SIN Network and the, the cities and uh, military installations and collegiate campuses and, uh, and poverty and refugees and adoption and all these different things. We wanted it to tell that broader narrative. And so we t- intentionally... Uh, use the stories of the missionaries to tell each tell a part of that. Um, some are focused on send relief and what they're doing to reach out to the homeless in their area. Some are focused on internationals and refugees and what they're doing to reach out to people who have just come to North America and they're generally from different cultures and different religions. Uh, but all uh, telling the bigger story of how we share Jesus with our community. One of the biggest things that I learned, and I'll talk about this a little bit throughout, but is that our churches need to reflect the diversity of our community. Uh, as I said, I've grown up in churches, that wonderful churches, wonderful people, but we're very much just like me. <laughs> I didn't have a very diverse mindset of people um, through my upbringing, and, um, and in the churches that I visited... But after visiting each of these churches, the one thing that struck me is that I'm probably more of a minority than, than anything. And, uh, and it was exciting, though, because the, the passion and the excitement and the joy and the, the action and the impact and the life that was in these churches was just amazing, of all these people from different cultures and different backgrounds. And, uh, and so as I witnessed this time after time after time traveling this last, this last year, that that is probably the biggest thing that stood out to me. And, and these ways of send relief and, and reaching our communities and whatever their need is, that our, our, we reach the needs of our community, and by reach, meeting their needs, our churches will begin to reflect what our community looks like. So I'm going to start by talking about Clarkston, Georgia, very close to home, southern city over here in Atlanta. In the 70s, Clarkston was chosen to be a refugee resettlement site. Meaning people from all over the world were coming to Clarkston, Georgia. Uh, And it has now been called one of the most diverse square miles in North America. going to need that because this is, <laughs> this is dying. Sorry about that. Hmm? Yeah. So when we were working on this story for Clarkson, we met this man named Bill. Uh, Clarkson represents people from all around the world, 60 different countries represented in Clarkston. Clarkston International Bible Church had been there for a long time, but as Bill talks about uh, when the Refugee Resettlement Act happened and all these people started coming in from around the world, people basically left the church and they're like, didn't want to be a part of it. And only a handful of families remained in Clarkston uh, for this church. And 
But what he talks about is the amazing growth that God allowed them to experience as they welcomed these people and spoke Jesus to them and told them about uh, the saving hope in Jesus. This is Trent. Trent and his family love puzzles. Uh, We use some of the stories about how they love puzzles to talk to. We have some children's videos, uh, but just going to go through some of the behind the scenes. Pictures, what stood out to me is there were seven different churches meeting on Clarkson International Bible Church's campus every Sunday. Different churches, Korean church, African church, Chinese church. I mean, they're all, it's it's amazing. And then uh, in between church services, they're coming together and they're meeting in this courtyard and they're uh, talking, I, I guess, in English. I, I don't know. But, uh, and then here you can see on the playground, you know, kids from, from all these different countries uh, just meeting together and playing. And, you know, like, there's nothing, like, it's okay. And, uh, and so it's just really awesome sight to see what God's doing there. Send, They have uh, literacy programs. They educate, um, job training, all these things that are going on through the Clarkson International Bible Church. Uh, it is now becoming a center relief ministry center, uh, which is going to be a uh, ministry center where churches can come and learn how to do ministry and learn how to uh, reach out to refugees in their areas and ways that you can do that, training and even on-the-ground opportunities to do that there in Clarkson. This young lady is uh, named Fatmata, and she immigrated from Africa, a Muslim background back when she was young, and didn't know about Jesus, came to Clarkston, ended up getting saved through one of their uh, school programs, and now she is a member, she graduated from Georgia State University, and now she's working at the church and helping with the children and teaching them about Jesus, and so it's just, that was one story, we're, we're actually doing a story on her this summer, talking a little bit deeper about her story, uh, but it's just pretty amazing how God can use that. This is uh, in Mr. Bill's garage, you notice you'll, a couple of the shots from the video earlier, with, he loves to work on model airplanes, but an amazing thing about him, he's been in this church for decades and decades and decades, went to Vietnam, came back, the church was different, but he stayed, uh, and is actually kind of the patriarch of the church. Uh, in many ways, and people look to him, which is why we wanted to feature him and, uh, and talk about what he's doing there at Clarkson. And you know, some of the stories, what we try to do is uh, tell parallel stories. So there's the story of the ministry, but then there's stories of people like Mr. Bill who are in the ministry and their perspective on, on how the, the ministry impacted people's lives during that time. So uh, just giving a little bit more depth to how we told the stories this year. He's a funny guy. He reminded me of my granddad. I remember just the way he talked and his garage and things he said. It was just uh, so it was a neat moment with them in Detroit. I'd never been to Detroit, and I thought, oh, Detroit's dead. <laughs> you know, back when the, the crisis happened several years ago and the auto industry left Detroit. 
Uh, Detroit's not dead. It's actually a pretty cool city, and there's a lot of stuff going on. And, uh, and so it's very ripe for the gospel and ripe for people to uh, do a movement there. Uh, so as we go through Detroit, I had no idea how close it was to Canada. <laughs> That's how naive I was. That's Canada right across the river there. <laughs> I thought it was kind of strange. I can see across the river and I can see Canada. I mean, it's just really weird. So, uh, Palin, yeah. I can see Canada from this river. Oh. So uh, Trent and, I'm sorry, Travis and his wife Jen, they live out in the suburbs of Michigan. He grew up in, uh, grew up in Michigan. His granddad was a Baptist preacher. And he went on to do music. And, but his parents own this farm, this really cool farm that they have there in, in Michigan. And uh, they, we, we got there right, uh, right before the fall when they started having corn mazes and pumpkin picking and, and all those kind of fall activities. And so it was a really cool place that they do that, and they invite the community there. And, and so they just are able to meet these people and meet their, meet their community and uh, have an impact in their life, just through the, the work that they're doing there. Uh, but he talks about how he went into music, uh, traveling, doing music, singing. And, uh, and then God called him one day and said, you know what? <laughs> uh, if I can use your dad, your granddad, I can use you. Um, and he was always a little self-conscious. He went into music because he had a stuttering problem. And he thought, well, I can't speak, so uh, I'm just going to do music. And, uh, and then God called him to preach, and he started a church. There in the Detroit area, him and his wife Jen uh, and their their family, and we filmed this video up in the top of his barn. And this uh, this was a funny funny slide because we were adding a little fog to the background for cinematic effect, and kind of looks like he's spraying bug spray on him or something. <laughs> and so I just happened to catch that moment. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> But Travis is a pretty cool guy. Uh, I mean, just amazing personality, and he reaches out to people in this community. They meet at a local community center, and uh, community college center, and uh, through his love of music, is able to reach people that uh, maybe not everybody would be able to. And this story of Vanier was pretty cool, where his parents had his parents had died, and he had been uh, going through his life. He got saved, and then hadn't been able to find a home church. And then because of a church plant that you funded through the co-op and uh, Annie Armstrong Easter offering, there was a church there that was what Vanier was looking for, a family, a home uh, that met his needs, that, that resonated with him, that it welcomed him in. And, uh, and so he got baptized on the day we were there. Uh, it was really cool. I had to hear that story, so we put him in there and tell him as part of the, the story of what God's doing through Travis's church. Uh, and in just a couple of years, they've already baptized 50 people. They've launched a second church and are working on another church. One thing that's really cool about what they do up there is that he uses his love for music, and they write records and uh, publish albums, and, and then through the, the the funds that come through people downloading and buying those, those records, they use that money to go and plant a church. And so 
You know, when they raise $50,000 through that, they use that money, that's their goal, and then they go plant another church, and then they'll write another record, and then they'll go do another church. And so it's just really innovative, these ideas and the ways that, that, that these guys are so passionate about starting churches and spreading the gospel. East St. Louis, this was uh, probably one of uh, the most touching stories for me. This is the St. Louis I know. This is St. Louis that I've been to. But this is St. Louis across the bridge in Illinois, actually. And it honestly looks like a third world country. It has just been uh, abandoned. And because of that and many other reasons, East St. Louis has the highest murder rate of any city in the U.S. Highest murder rate of any city in the U.S. Uh, And so Kempton, Turner and his wife, Karen, they, uh, Kempton came from that background of drugs and gangs and violence and got saved. And then he decided, you you know what, after he had gone to seminary and gotten called to be a pastor, God called him back to East St. Louis and said, I want you to go reach those people that were just like you. And so he has a thriving church in City of Joy Fellowship. Uh, Zach Chike, his youth director, uh, we use the story of them. They go in and they, they rebuild houses there in East St. Louis. They refurbish houses. And, uh, and then through that, they're able to create places where uh, boys can come and hear about Jesus and, and do Bible groups and studies and discipleship and, and reach them. And these are just some of the boys that their lives have been impacted through remodeling homes and then hearing about Jesus. So we traveled around East St. Louis, uh, honestly, because it was safer traveling with Kempton in a car and (laughs) not walking around. Uh, But we wanted to be able to just capture the, the... the devastation of that city uh, spiritually and financially and in so many ways. And so this is just a shot of us in his, in the suburban, uh, rented suburban, by the way. Uh, and, and this is me behind him. <laughs> and then we'd stop at different neighborhoods and talk to some of the people that he's impacted through his ministry. And then on the Sunday that we were there, again, there was a young man that had gotten saved and was being baptized that very Sunday uh, through the ministry that he's having. His church, City of Joy Fellowship, is meeting in a, a local school. And so through the school and the relationship that they have with setting up and breaking down and meeting the people there, they are able to have a witness with the people in the school. And so it's just really cool how God's using this and um, and using Kempton. He is, if you ever called somebody to preach, you'd want to call Kempton. He, man, he can, <laughs> he's, it lights you on fire. This is really cool. Yeah, so that was the same weekend. I just had to put this in there. That was the same weekend. There was something that happened up in, I mean, oh, solar eclipse. That's what it was, yeah. And uh, made it home just in time to be able to enjoy this once-of-a-lifetime moment with my boys. Uh, and then New York City, of course, we think about New York City, but if you don't know, New York City is about 4% evangelical. 22 million people and 4% of them are evangelical, and we can assume from that a portion of those are actually believers in Christ. So Taylor Field, and uh, he he again came from the background of uh, drugs in the 60s and and some of that kind of lifestyle and was able to get saved. Uh, Somebody reached him, he got saved. 
wanted to go back and reach his own city there in the East Village of New York City. Uh, and so he does things, uh, he and his wife Susan, with uh, reaching out to the people in their community, meeting their, their needs, building relationships with them. A lot of homelessness there in New York, as you know. Uh, they have a feeding ministry that they do every Saturday in the park next to their church. Uh, they go out and they feed the homeless. They feed people that are needy. And, uh, and so through that, they're able to make relationships and meet people's needs, share Jesus with them. This is the church graffiti. And then meet people like Chess Monster. My boys loved this because we were... They were actually getting into uh, a chess phase at the time that I took this trip, and, and I told them I was going to meet the chess monster, and, uh, and they thought that was, was pretty cool, so got my picture with the chess monster, and this is a guy who was, for 16 years, was homeless in New York City uh, in this park just close to Graffiti Church, and one day, Taylor's son, this is not his son, this is one of my video crew, but... <laughs> Uh, Taylor's son sat down to play chess with Chess Monster one day in the park and ended up talking to him about Jesus, inviting him to church. And then, long story short, he ended up meeting Taylor Field and getting saved, became their uh, custodian, uh, and then now lives in a small apartment above the church. And and then on every Saturday, he's out there now reaching the homeless uh, through Graffiti Church that were just like him. And so it's just amazing, you know, how just meeting someone's simple, basic need can open up that opportunity for you to, to share the gospel with them. And I, I skipped over this slide real quick. I, I thought it was... Here we go. Pretty cool. When I went into Taylor's office, I saw this. And I'm like, Taylor, what is this? And he said, oh, those are all the different places in the Manhattan area that we, and, and the metro New York area that we have ministries and so through one church plant, all of this is happening. And, and so just the multiplication, the ripple effect, it, it was just, it was astounding uh, through the things that he's doing. And, and in each of those communities, they have unique programs and unique outreaches to reach the specific needs of those communities. And so that just really impacted me how they're doing that. This is on top of his, his church. We're just uh, a few little behind-the-scenes pictures shooting chess monster and we went uh to taylor's taylor's apartment and and did a little scene in his his garden area and it was about this big <laughs> that's it was it was just pretty amazing how they live in such small confines just him getting his makeup <laughs> uh but taylor's really really cool guy he's actually a coffee connoisseur if you didn't know that he he has uh erica was actually to travel able to travel with me that week and uh, and so we got to experience this special coffee that he makes, and um, it's the first time I ever had iced coffee, and, and uh, I, I still haven't had any as good as his iced coffee, so it was something really interesting about him. Las Vegas, Nevada, we've heard a lot about them recently with the, the shooting and the things that happened there, but uh, we all know what it's known for, uh, but we may not realize that there are over 2 million people that live there, People in neighborhoods and homes and churches and some churches and schools and uh, people that need to know about Jesus. So Hayden Ratner, this is really uh, amazing guy. His dad is is pretty high up in in Las Vegas life. 
Hayden came out of that, was big into basketball. I went on to play at James Madison University, uh, college basketball. Got called to be a professional basketball player over in Israel, got saved during that time, and then called to be a pastor and said he wanted to come back to Las Vegas because of the barren dryness, both physically and spiritually. We, we wanted to represent a little bit of that and some of the visuals. So this is us out in the middle of the desert doing some, uh, doing some filming of, of Haydn and some of his story. And it was kind of funny. We were out there, and we all had parked our cars, and I'm like, this kind of looks like a like a Chevy truck ad or something. <laughs> so it was just really strange. So come to find out that area is where they had filmed uh, some different, different movie scenes and a lot of commercials and ads and stuff like that. So there's a reason why it looked like that. But his church, Walk Church, started just as a Bible study in his house. And uh, But he uses the correlation of the team team teamwork and camaraderie with his church and that every Sunday morning they have to set up and break down in this church in this school that they meet at and so how that takes a group of people it's not just the pastor it's everybody in the church that makes that happen and because that happens they're able to reach all the people in their community and continue to grow and launch new churches and that's him doing his team spirit and I think this is really cool they they actually play in local basketball associations and use that as an outreach and their their jerseys actually say Jesus wins and I think that's a really cool uh, testimony for them but one of his dreams is to build a ministry center that doubles as a basketball uh, center and then on the weekends is able to be a church and through that they're able to reach people in the sports uh, sports scene there in Las Vegas and even broader than that so lastly just want to talk about Kesavan. Kesavan was uh, a child immigrated from Sri Lanka during the Sri Lankan Civil War back in the 80s and 90s. Came here when he was 11. And uh, this place that we're filming is a local community college that he, he ministers at. And oddly enough, outside of this room, there was a Muslim prayer room and bookshelves full of Muslim literature and everything. So I'm standing here doing this shoot and watch, read, I'm like, this is just strange. This is really strange, but it's cool because he's there with the truth and uh, they're being fed all this other stuff, but he's there. And so anyway, he uh, came to Toronto from Sri Lanka. He, uh, because of, um, we met him and I'm sorry, we met this guy, Gajan, who also came from Sri Lanka. He came alone when he was eight years old. His parents said, his, his dad had died. His mom said, you know what? This is not safe. I'm going to send you to Canada. There's some family there. He ends up traveling alone, eight years old, from Sri Lanka to Canada, through Germany and other places, and ends up coming to Toronto as well. Both of these guys, because of uh, prejudice in, in their schools, they didn't understand the language. People um, discriminated them. They formed cliques, which became gangs. And then those gangs eventually... Uh, we're no longer protecting each other, or protecting themselves, but we're end up fighting against each other. And then we meet, uh, and that means my time's up, I apologize. <laughs> uh, so we meet this guy, Gadgen, uh, and these guys had ended up getting in a, in a fight. Uh, there was a shooting. Kesavon goes to jail for 10 years, 10 years. He didn't do the shooting, he was just in a gang that was involved in the shooting, and so he goes to jail. Uh, ends up getting saved one year into his time there because a librarian passed a Bible through the cell to him. 
Uh, and then nine years later, uh, he ends up going to seminary, getting called to preach. And short time after that, Gadgen is now in his church. Uh, this guy that was his enemy, uh, hearing about Jesus. And Gadgen's not saved yet, uh, according to my knowledge. He's, he's uh, hearing about Jesus. He sees that there's a difference, and he talks about some of that in the video. But he, as far as we know, has not quite made the decision. So that's something that we need to pray about. People like Gadgen that are there. And this is his family, a uh, wonderful, beautiful family. And that picture came from a result of us, uh, this is what we call baby wrangling, where we make noise and shake stuff behind the camera to get the kids' attention, to get them to look like this. Because <laughs> there's about 25 pictures before this where they didn't. <laughs> and so... Uh, but they do things, block parties, reach out to their community. Uh, it's a very diverse community. A lot of refugees coming in from all over the world there. 14 different countries uh, represented in his church. And this is just us scouting around uh, Toronto on places to shoot. He wanted to tell the story kind of from the perspective of Moses. Because he's like, you know, Moses, he murdered a guy. And he's like, I didn't actually murder that guy, but uh, that's in my past that's in my background. And, and so the story of Moses really spoke to him because it shows that God can use anybody despite their past. And, and so the, um, the visuals that we use here were kind of speaking to that of Jesus part in the sea and, uh, and the vastness and the, the, um, The way that it can seem overwhelming when we look out in the ocean and the thing, what's out there, the things that God is calling us to do that we just don't feel uh, qualified to do. And so, those are some of those pictures. And of course, when you're in Canada, you got to go to Tim Hortons, eat some bacon. <laughs> and uh, they love their green cars there. You know, people say green, but that's a different take on the term a green car. Uh, and so we saw some really kind of weird stuff. But these are some amazing stories I just wanted you guys to hear a little bit about behind the scenes. Uh, there's so much I wish I could tell you. Obviously, I don't have enough time to do that all in uh, this short amount of time. But uh, as I said, the, the, their stories and these people are so thankful for the giving that you give uh, to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and, and want you to know that everything that they do and everything that we're doing at NAM and through Send Network and Send Relief is about evangelism. It's about sharing the hope of Christ through all of these things uh, and reaching, reaching North America for him. So thank you for your prayers, your investment, and for furthering God's kingdom. So if you want to learn more about us, you can go to nam.net. You can connect with us on social media. Uh, there's all kind of uh, things that we're putting out daily about the things going on at NAM uh, and activities and, and opportunities and ministries that we're involved in. Thank you. Huh? Did I hit play? How do I do it? She can play it. And uh, before I leave, just quick last video I want you to watch from our president, Kevin Ezell. The first church I pastored was Hilltop Baptist in Fort Worth, Texas. It was a small church, a lot like this one. 
They voted me in seven to zero, a unanimous call. In fact, it's the only unanimous call I've ever received. God taught me a lot about ministry through that church. And it is there that I saw firsthand the sacrificial giving of his people. One of our sweet members was Lenny Fenton. She was an older lady of very little means. She lived in a small house across the street from the church. Some would even call it a shack. Lenny didn't have much, but she gave sacrificially to our little church and to the offerings we participated in. And she took great joy in giving. She counted it a great privilege to give. Lenny has been with the Lord now for many years, but I take her memory with me wherever I'm serving. I tell her story to our staff and remind myself to look at every dollar we receive like it's Lenny Fenton's dollar. You see, when you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering, we know that many in your church are giving sacrificially. I also know that there are also dozens of worthy ministries and other things that you could support as a church. So I'm grateful for all that you and your church members do to support the Annie offering. Half of what we receive to support our missionaries comes from the Annie offering. And our guidelines require that every penny, every penny of it goes to missionaries and to support them on the field. So whether your church meets in a building similar to this one or if it's in a much larger facility or somewhere in between, we will be the very best stewards of everything you send. Thank you for what you give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and for all you're doing to help reach North America for Christ. We are grateful to be your partner. All right. Thank you, Adam. Great job.